Welcome to season three of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, Esports 101, Building a Business. Over the past year, we've talked with many esports professionals around the world. Our audience knows how to play games, and now they are eager to level up their skills in the business arena. This season aims to equip every esports entrepreneur with practical and useful knowledge to achieve success. Think of it as a mini course, Esports 101. And now your host, Tom Leonard. I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, where we talk about how esports can create jobs almost anywhere in the world. Our tagline is play games, create jobs, change lives. In season one, we talked about jobs. In season two, we talked about sponsorship and investment, follow the money. And now in season three, we're talking more about how to build an esports business. We call it Esports 101. And today, I'm really honored to have uh, Gerald Solomon, who's the executive director at NACEF, the North America Scholastic Esports Federation. Welcome, Gerald. Oh, thank you, Tom. It's great to be here and look forward to the conversation. Great, great. No, I was really glad when Reginald was able to uh, arrange this conversation. Today, I think we'll talk about kind of three different areas. I'm going to go through a little bit of an introduction, and then I want to talk about NACEF and what you're doing there and your interaction with the International Esports Federation. And then I want to have a little bit of a discussion about nonprofits, the impact of nonprofits on esports, because we don't get to talk to someone like you who has so much experience working at top level at some really big um, nonprofits out there and how, how they have come into the esports world. So could you maybe just start out here, a bit of an introduction. What got you into working in uh, the nonprofit world? Oh, wow. That's a question that no one has asked for a while. Um, it probably comes from my upbringing. My parents were always involved in social issues. Um, I have always had an interest in the concepts of social impact and social justice. And as I shared with you before, um, I was, uh, an attorney, don't hold that against me for a while in San Diego, actually almost 20 years. And I always liked the idea of like being Don Quixote, you know, kind of going against the big guy and seeing what I could do to help the little fellow, you know, kind of get his or her due, you know, when it was appropriate. So the idea of nonprofits was just something that was kind of bred in me that, that whole perspective of social impact. And I had an opportunity after practicing law for a long time to meet some folks within that arena. And my transition was pretty smooth and easy. And I spent, gosh, 25 years in what is generally known as the world of philanthropy and the nonprofit world. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. That, that's great. A great journey to, to be on. So um, where are you located now? You know, so now I live in the mountains of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, it's interesting how COVID impacted everyone. I spent many years, probably 25 plus years in California. Lived in San Diego, lived in uh, the LA region area, a lot in Long Beach. Loved it. COVID hit and things changed around and decided, you know what? I'm going to, uh, my wife and I are going to use this opportunity to take a hard right turn and, and think about a future that's a little bit different than what we were accustomed to. Found uh, a home up in the mountains of uh, Rocky Mountains in uh, Santa Fe and absolutely love it. Great. Great. No, I think maybe I mentioned before, I, I grew up in Wyoming. And so, nice. so it's like, I know what winters can be like <laughs> in, uh, in, in, in the Rocky Mountains. It's like, it's, it'd be a definite change. I mean, Santa Fe would be better than, than some other places, but definitely a change than Southern California. It is. It is. So what, what got you into gaming, into esports in particular? Are you a gamer? Uh, you know, funny, everyone asks, and I enjoy watching games. I really am horrible at playing. Uh, but I'm like any other person of my generation. I don't have the dexterity and uh, capacity to compete with a 15-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 20-year-old, etc. But my route to gaming is really fascinating. And um, if you don't mind, I'll tell that story. Oh, no, that's that, that's great. Yeah. So I, as I said, I, I was fortunate enough to leave the practice of law and go into philanthropy. And I ran a large health foundation for eight years. And then I was fortunate enough to run a dot-com foundation for the founder of Broadcom, one of the largest chip manufacturers in the world, Henry Semwelly. 
And we spent a lot of time, and candidly, I spent a lot of his money uh, investing in STEM and STEAM education, youth development, youth careers, youth opportunities. And we were looking at our work, and we were doing an assessment after 10 years. And he said, you know, how do we improve? How do we expand the pipeline? How do we reach the kids we really want to reach, the underserved, the disenfranchised, the disengaged, the kids who are not your grade A student, the center on the basketball team, the pitcher on the baseball team, et cetera, and expose them to careers in technology and in STEM education. So I started looking around, and lo and behold, I found out four miles from where I was in Corona Del Mar, Newport Beach area, was a school called University of California, Irvine. And they had a prolific esports program run by Mark Deppey. And I called him up and I said, hey, you know, I want to know a little bit more about this thing called esports. And this was in 2017, 2017, 2018. And I went over there and I looked at it and I saw all the kids hanging out. And I said, wow, what a great Trojan horse. What a great opportunity. Kids are hanging out. They're having fun. They're building community. They're enjoying themselves. How can I use it to be able to reach kids? So I went back to the principals, the family, and I said, you know, I want to do something different. I want to see if we can create a curriculum and an education for esports. And I was asked the question that I asked, what's esports? <laughs> so I had to go through all that. And, you know, given the entrepreneurial, innovative spirit of Henry and Susan, they gave me some funds and I started this program called the Orange County High School Esports League, 25 schools. And as part of it, I gave a grant through their foundation to the University of California, Irvine and the Orange County Department of Ed. And I challenged them. I want to do it different. I don't want to be an esports program. I want to be an education program, but I want to use esports as the hook or the magnet. And I want kids to be able to come in and understand because I saw it right away. I saw that there's a holistic ecosystem here. So I gave a grant to them, fairly significant, and they wrote an entire curriculum, over a thousand pages over six months. High school, middle school, all CT tracks, et cetera. And then we submitted it to the Department of Education in California. And surprisingly, or not surprisingly, they looked at me and said, what is esports? <laughs> and I said, well, let me tell you, you know, esports is a developing concept in the United States that's pretty rooted elsewhere that if done right, you can teach kids not just the world of esports and gaming, like streaming and shopcasting, coding and web development and event management and data analytics and graphic design and a whole sundry of CTE pathway and technology skills. This is a curriculum to do that. And, you know, lucky enough, there were some foresight and progressiveness on their part. And they said, okay. And we started with 25 schools in Orange County. And then as of today, if I can jump forward, yes, we now have over 3,000 schools in the United States, over 25,000 kids. But more importantly, I now sit on the board of IESF, the International Esports Federation Board. I chair their education commission. It's 131 countries. And my responsibility, besides in the United States, is we teach our model of connecting play and learning, basically project-based, immersive, interest-driven learning through esports to kids all over the world. And we have affiliates now in 32 countries around the world. And we have programs in over 70 countries around the world. And all of our curriculum, because we were philanthropically based and developed, all of our curriculum is 100% free to any school and any student anywhere in the world. That's the nonprofit of us. How, what's, how many people are on staff at NISA? <laughs> when I give you that number, you will be shocked like everyone else. We have nine FTEs. What we've done is we have touched the passion of educators around the world. And we have created a program called the Scholastic Fellows Program, where we have trained over 120 teachers in, I think, 16 countries who go through an entire year at no cost to them, but no cost to us. It's all stuff we've developed through our curriculum. And they spend nine months, over 200 hours 
through synchronous and asynchronous learning on everything that we do. And they are our spokespeople all around the world. So we'll do a lot of Zoom work. We'll do a lot of in-person meetings, like I was in Bali at the World Championship at IESF. We trade educated teachers in 54 countries. We'll be in Romania. I'm going to Singapore in June. Um, you know, I've been all over the world in multiple countries. When they can afford to send me there and my team, we will fly in. And we, we don't charge much. We just charge for our travel and, you know, our, our um, hotel and a little bit for our time. Uh, or we'll do it by Zoom and we'll do it like this where we'll sit down and sometimes we'll train a hundred people at a time on a web-based call and we'll give them the tools and resources. And we've created an entire online digital academic platform. I mean, we've done this over 3000 times, so we hit a lot of mistakes and we've learned a lot. So we actually sell that. Not a lot. I mean, one, one program is $199, one program is $400. I mean, you know, we're, we don't charge thousands of dollars. Being a nonprofit, it's nice. We don't, we're not beholden to VC people. We're not beholden to investors. You know, we don't have an ROI that says, tell me how much money you made this month and when am I going to get return on my investment? That's, you know, being a nonprofit, it's wonderful. I can have this great, wonderful, honest conversation with a parent or a teacher and say, I'm here to help you and your children. I'm not here to make money off them. One of the things I like hearing you talk about there is the way that you're using esports to teach life skills. It's like you're you're not out there. I mean, the first thing I when I see you know the North American Scholastic Esports Federation. Oh, you play, you teach people how to play games. Yeah, it's like well, you probably Re that remember that word scholastic because we yeah. coined that word, and that is the key piece of who we are. Great, great. So, so and you're describing a little bit, but but could you go into a little more detail of who it is that you were trying to reach? Because what I also hear you talking about is you're trying to reach people that can reach other people. You're, you're not necessarily going for the for the for the student. You're going for the teacher. Am I right? Both. Yeah, we're going we're we're going for both, and we also have lots of programs in boys and girls clubs, YMCA's, community centers, and libraries. I mean, libraries today are a forgotten resource. You know, it used to be the place where communities would hang out and learn and congregate. And then they lost relevance in the digital age a little bit. We have just introduced, and we have lots of libraries in the United States that have taken up our program where they have reinvigorated the relevance to their communities, especially in rural communities where Wi-Fi and technology uh, speeds are, are slow or difficult. The library is becoming a central hub in so many ways. But, you know, to get back to your, you know, original question, um, our goal is to reach educators who want to figure out a new way to teach kids. We don't create a curriculum and say, here, buy this curriculum. It's not who we are. Our curriculum is free, number one. And number two, we don't have, we don't say to a teacher, forget 20 years of all your great work and just do this. Instead, what we do is we work with teachers and we say, would you like to reinvigorate your classroom? Would you like to engage kids in ways they've never been engaged? Would you like to, for lack of a better term, modernize or make your curriculum maybe a little bit more real world relevant? And if you don't mind, can I give you an example? Sure, sure. Let's hear it. So, you know, a history teacher will say, well, how can I introduce esports and gaming into my classroom? And we say, good question. Here's what you can do. Let's assume you're a world history teacher. You will teach kids around all kinds of major events. Rise and fall of the Roman Empire, ancient history, World War One, World War Two, the invasion of Normandy, whatever it may be. Can you imagine going into Unreal Engine or Minecraft and having your kids rebuild those historical significant activities in a digital and virtual world? These kids now come to life. It's not just reading a book or hearing a teacher standing at a podium talking to them. They get to recreate the experience and immerse themselves in that experience. And that's what we do is we gamify that learning. We use esports. Now, we also do traditional esports like, you know, League of Legends or Rocket League or, um, you know, on a world stage, MLBB, you know, which is, you know, uh, you know, a big game for, um, you know, the, a lot of people 
uh, in the play. But, you know, we, all kinds of things. And then we've learned how to take aspects of those games um, and teach things through those games as well. Um, but it's really about gamifying learning, bringing the classroom to the 21st and 22nd century. Yeah, I was, I was, one of the things I was looking at some of the videos that you have online and one of the, one of the instructors, what he kept saying that if that made so much sense is we, we want to go where the kids are. We want to meet the yeah. kids where they are. Don't, don't try to force them into someplace that they don't want to be. <laughs> but instead you do that. Um, I also see that you're, you're promoting a lot of farm craft right now. Yeah. What, what, what's, what's, explain, explain why, why, so, why you're doing that. That's a great story. So I, uh, can I give you a little history on that? Oh yeah, yeah. Mouth. Yeah, we we like stories here, so <laughs> Great. feel free. So 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 I'll I'll do that. Cut me off when you want. Um. So when COVID started, we had a relationship just developing with the U.S. State Department. We were talking to them about things that we can do, and the American Space and U.S. Embassy in Mexico City, Alejandro Barone, dear old friend came to us and said, we hear that you might be able to help the public school system of Mexico City. COVID has decimated public education. We have less than 10% of our kids who are coming online to learn and teach. And we're really worried about, you know, the lack of education, lack of engagement, socialization, a whole lot of different things. So we said, sure, let's, let's create something. So we created a Minecraft, Minecraft competition that we called the COVID-19 competition. And what we did was we had kids in Minecraft create the COVID-19 virus, the COVID-19 home they would want to live in, and the COVID hospital they would want their family to be treated in. And as part of it, they had to do research on the bioscience of the virus. They had to learn about all the research that was being done around how to inoculate against it potentially, um, and then a whole lot of other things. Like when it came to building the house and the hospital, they had to learn engineering and engineering design, you know, uh, concepts in order to build something that was sustainable. We had within 45 days over 3,000 students in Mexico public school system that participated in our program. The rest of the entire school system and then the state department came to us and said, wow. Is there any way we can expand on this? Well, the Department of Agriculture said to us, this is pretty cool. What can you do with us? And we said, well, you know, maybe we could do something around farming because there are components within Minecraft that have farming aspects to it. So we went ahead and in our first year, we did a basic, you know, buy seeds, plant seeds, grow seeds, and you know, what, what's the, what, what's the total bushel of, of product or crop you, you, you know, you were able to produce. Second year, we decided to add in concepts of climate change, environmental impact, and different types of seeds and a whole lot of different kinds of things. And we built biomes so you could build it not just in one, uh, geography, but we would like to build it in a desert or in a mountain or in a, Swampland, et cetera, et cetera. So we added complexity to it. Um, and then, you know, with that, last year, we had our third year, we had 2,500 plus schools and we had, uh, oh gosh, 68 or 69 countries that participated. And the winners were not from the United States. The winners were like from Botswana and uh, Nigeria and Japan, and Mexico. And what happened was these kids were not only learning farming techniques, but they were learning about climate and climate change and biotechnology and biochemistry. And they were going out on their own and they were visiting farms and they were visiting universities and learning about these other things. And then this year, we've introduced, and we're in the middle of it right now, we've introduced the entire um, vertical market system of, okay, so how do you take it to market? You know, how do you decide which crops you want to go ahead and sell? What does your local community want? So we have actually set up in Minecraft the ability for kids to load their products on ships, planes, and trucks. And then they have to take it to market and then sell it at market and they have to generate revenue. So they have to build a business plan. And so far this year, we have over 6,000 kids from 
I think, around 58 countries. And we're only like three weeks into it. And we have two more months left um, who are participating in the program. And it's 100% free. We don't charge a student a penny to participate. We provide them all of the Minecraft EDU licenses, thanks to a grant from the U.S. State Department. And kids around the world are able to participate and learn not only, you know, the things that we've talked about, but also to explore, wow, well, maybe I could go into biochemistry. Maybe I could use technology to help train and learn and do different things and have impact. So it's been a huge impact socially and um, educationally in countries all over the world. That, that, that is a great story there. And um, one of the things, uh, it, a long time ago, I was a Peace Corps volunteer. Oh, how nice. I was teaching business studies in, in Fiji. Not, not exactly a hardship location <laughs> at the Fiji Institute of Technology. And, and one day I brought in some uh, play uh, Monopoly money and for economics. And we we're it, it just it's just amazing how they just the students are just glommed on to something that was a little different, something a little playful. I mean, and that that's a really, really simple example compared to what could be done today. One of the things I keep hearing you talk about is the, your organization seems to be really nimble. You seem to be able to to turn and do new things based on the environment out there. Where yeah. where does that come from? Oh, uh, well, first and foremost, I learned a long time ago, surround myself with people who are better and smarter than I am. So I have a great team. And they their skills, their capacity, what they can do is just amazing to me. Um, and we all have the same passion. And the passion is that same social justice issue you know, the concepts of diversity and equity and inclusion and opportunity um, that is really significant. And, you know, those combined factors allow us to be creative. And then when you look into the marketplace and the fact that we've worked with educators all over the world and, you know, people don't give them the respect they deserve. Not only are they entrusted with the lives of our children, they are some of the most creative, brilliant people I've ever met. And when you ask them, to create something new and different, that to help those that are progressive and appreciative of those opportunities, they have an incredible impact. We have developed an entire community library of information, classwork, teaching programs, et cetera, by these educators that any educator around the world can access for free. So I'm really surrounded by brilliant people. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough that, you know, I guess what I bring is maybe a little bit of a vision and an ability to kind of see opportunity when others may not. Uh, but, you know, that's hollow unless you surround yourself and bring in the right people who can actually implement uh, and make it happen. So we're nibble because of just the people around us. I, that That's what we always want to hear. I mean, the people, I really like hearing people talk about surrounding themselves with people that, that are smarter than them, because that's that I have always found to be the, the key to success. You're talking about doing a lot of things around the world. And could you describe a little bit how, how culture impacts what you're doing and how you work? Because if you're doing something here in the U S and then you start doing something in Southeast Asia or doing something in sub-Saharan Africa and it's a different Middle East, it's a different culture. Could you describe a little bit about how you approach that and how you uh, become successful in different cultures? Sure. Um, well, first, let me just say that we define success very differently than a for-profit business. For-profit business has to have a return. So they'll always look at how do they monetize. When you're a nonprofit and you come from where we come from, it's a different set of metrics for KPIs. It's about how many kids can you engage? Um, how many opportunities for career opportunities can you expose kids to? Um, when you ask them to write blogs or you ask them to engage in different activities and create social media platforms or a website, those are our KPIs. Those are our measurements. Um, so it's different. So it's easier to engage when there's not something in return that we're asking for. All we're asking for is a better society, a better community, an opportunity for kids to thrive and grow. So the entry point is very different and it makes it much easier. So wherever you go around the world, there are some common things, which are, how do you improve life? How do you deal with poverty? How do you give kids an opportunity? Um, how do you create pathways? Those are common things. You know, people say music is a common thread 
that transcends all culture. It's the same thing in learning and in education, because we all want our kids to grow. We want our communities to thrive, you know, et cetera. So that makes it a little easier. Um, then we sit down and we just ask questions. We learn. We find out what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses. You know, some places don't have good internet connectivity. Some places only work on mobile phones. We actually have programs in some places that don't ever game because they have zero technology. They love the idea of what we do. If you went to our website at nasef.org and you hit on the little button that says uh, learning and you drop down to curriculum, there's an infographic. And in that infographic, it talks about concepts of strategy, content creation, innovation and entrepreneurship, and organizational development. And those are the four core pillars. Because what we do is we bring kids together and we say, do you like to play? Sure, I like to play. And then we go ahead and we say, well, you know, how do you think the game was created? Do you think, you know, do you realize that there's a career in coding to create the next game? Who created the avatars and all the cool stuff? And then, you know, when you go to TikTok or you go to Instagram or you go to Facebook, who's managing all that and writing all that? Who's doing the blogs? Who's putting the events together? And do you know if you do those things, there are career pathways in technology and hospitality and event management. You know, some kids are really analytical and, and love to figure out the best way to get around something to be better at a game. We call them data analysts. And how do they look at the data and analyze it? That's really statistics. And how do you do that in a way that you have fun with it and you also could create careers? Because data management, big data is a big deal in today and in to, in, you know tomorrow's market for a marketplace for future skills and skill development. So we tie it a lot to what we call our career tech or career technology um, pathways in the way we teach and we learn. And, you know, we do something different also. We have a lot of toolkits and we do silly things. Like when we engage kids, we don't want just game players. We want to talk to the entire group of kids. We want to talk to a school. And we want to ask questions like, how many people like to doodle and draw? How many people go home and if you looked in your closet, you saw all your shoes or sneakers lined up in a row or your clothes were color coded? Because you know what that tells us? Those are the kids who are the analysts. Those are the kids who like to do graphic design. Those are the kids who can manage events. And then what we do is, instead of just playing, we say, let's build a club. Let's get everyone involved. We like to play. Some of you are good at playing. Some of you just like to play. But you know, you can really help the club and you could build their website. You could do their graphic design and their logo. And you could have a competition in the school on Who's going to build the logo that your team adopts? And you do all those kinds of things. And then before you know what we've done is we've created a culture and a community. And that's the core of what we do. We create a culture and community in a school or in, you know, a community center or in a library. And then these kids want to come and not just play, but they want to, they're proud to show off the things that they've done and how they could say to their mom or their dad or their cousins or their teacher, Look what I did. I built a website. Wow. But, you know, if they were in a website development class, it has a completely different meaning to them. So I ramble. Sorry. That kind of like. Not, not at all. Is. Yeah. It, it, not at all. Because I think one of the things that's really good for people here is just a, the variety of jobs. And, and you're describing it very well because you've done this so many times before. I can I can tell. I mean, the, your whole approach is is not oh here's the list of jobs it's it's like no that you come from from their activities and from their interest and and that chart i looked at it I, it's on my little list here of, of of notes because not only is that a really good chart but then you go through the curriculum for each of those areas you have videos out there of talking to people doing different um uh different jobs out there and and that's one of the one of the reasons we do the podcast is we people if they can hear stories about people like themselves doing things. I'll, I'll give you the funniest story. Great. And forgive me, I got a little bit of swelling here. This is a personal issue. Um I ended up having to have a tooth pulled because I had a problem and it got infected and I had to go to an oral surgeon. So the oral surgeon had to do some work and 
I hope no one ever has to go through that, number one. Um, but what happened was, and I was talking to this guy, and he was a young guy, and I got to be friends with him. And I said, you know, I'm just really interested. You're really good at what you do. You got a great bedside manner. You, you communicate really well. I'm, I'm kind of interested. How did you get here? And he goes, you know, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, when I was in college, I played Halo and I played Call of Duty <laughs> and I honed my skills. And then he looked at me and laughed and he goes, you know, I guess I'm a really good surgeon because I got incredible dexterity with my fingers. Those are stories you see all the time. I mean, you won't see the people in my generation because it didn't exist. But today you'll see that in the 30 and 40 something year olds and you'll see it in, in lots of different places. You'll see it especially in the military. Uh, where drones, drone management, you know, um, quick thinking, reactive, critical thinking skills, the connection between the two becomes so critical and so important in so many things that you do, um, in technology development and engineering. Um, so we, we see, we hear stories and, you know, as you said, you've been on our website. We have interviews of people who, you know, that's what they did. That's what they played. They played games and it exposed them you know, to different opportunities. And the one story we hear more than anything is from the kids that are like 40-something-year-old. I call them kids because they still play games. And they say, man, I wish I had something like this when I was a kid. Yes. Well, we we were talking to um, uh, Victor Castro, who runs the eSports organization at West Point. And, of course, I, I was thinking, oh, you know, West Point, the Army, it's like they're really good at CSGO and things like that. He goes, no, the reason... The real reason that they do esports there is to teach leadership. Yeah, and it's just like it's like yeah, oh, because that's what they're doing at West Point. They're 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 creating leaders for uh for the army and for outside of the army, but just to take it as a as a leadership training uh, scale uh, rather than shooting. I want to talk a little bit about uh the International Esports Federation, oh. because and what you're doing there on the training side in particular. We talked to to Boban. Uh, a cup a, a week ago, huh. the, uh, great and, guy. Yeah, he's the secretary general, and yes. yeah, and so he was giving us all the information on what what the International Esports Federation does, and uh, and the other thing I'm finding is I, I I rarely talk to anyone, and I mentioned Boban. And, oh yeah, it's like he's he's he must be the best connected person out there. <laughs> Can you talk a, a little bit about what you you in particular are doing at at the International Esports Federation, and then a little bit about how NASIF and um, and the International Esports Federation are working together? Sure. Um, it's, it's really kind of one integrated conversation. It, it basically, you know, Vlad, the president, Boban, secretary general and the board, um, had a vision that no one else did internationally, and that was aligned with kind of my moral compass, which is how can we use esports and gaming for benefit and good besides just competition and winning a prize. You know, esports is unique in that it really is, and I'm generalizing, the 15, 18 year old, the 22 year old, by the time you're, you know, you're older, you're going to be in a position to where, um, you, my light went out, sorry, but you'll be in a position to where, you know, you're done. Your career is over. You know, athletes have a limited career. And in esports, is even more limited. So what can we do is IESF to have a real long-term value proposition. And they knew about, through just the grapevine, the work that we did and the curriculum we had. And we sat and we talked. And I became the commissioner of their esports education commission. And in part of it, I started doing training. We Our first big training was a year ago in Busan in South Korea, where we went to the We Summit, and we brought in teachers, we brought in professors, we brought in kids, and we did multiple trainings on how to use esports and gaming. And kids just lit up, teachers lit up, and they saw that, wow, what you do, Nasef, what you do, Gerald, really has impact. So I was fortunate enough then to be asked to join the board of directors so I can help at a higher level kind of guide all of that. And then at the World Championship last year in Indonesia, we went and it was three of us who came and we literally trained from 10 in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon for 10 days. And it was on multiple topics, everything from career pathways, how do you start and sustain a club, 
Um, how do you referee? How do you do so many different things in here? Um, and people just really gravitated to it. They really, really enjoyed it. And they found value because a lot of the esports associations, kids get together, they play, they compete. And if they win, they move on. If they don't, they disband it. Or maybe they communicate a little bit. What we do is we build this culture. We build this community. We keep them together. We teach them how to build a business plan. We teach them how to fundraise. We teach them how to buy their new equipment. We teach them how to have impact. We teach them how to look at career opportunities and all these other kinds of things. They set up committees, committee for marketing, a committee for web development, a committee for business planning, et cetera, et cetera. And we create this entire culture. And IESF was progressive enough in Vlad and Bobot and others to see that it's more than gameplay. And, you know, that that's what we do. We'll be going to Romania uh, this summer um, and we'll be part of training and teaching people all the time through that process. And, you know, that's what gives us, you know, meaning is how do we help these people really understand that they can enjoy what they do and there's a credible value if they think about it. Where we where we came across this was we were talking to Kwesi Hayford from Ghana mm-hmm. and we had that one of the best episodes of him taking his place is great. I, I just love it. He came to all of our trainings. It was, no it was awesome. And I mean, he's, he's, he's a great guy. He's a larger than life character anyway. Yeah. But, uh, one thing, I mean, it was such a great conversation because it was, it was easy as a podcaster because I just turned it over and the, the guys who went had just endless stories and they were just so excited about it. But one of the things Quasi talked about was the training that he went to there. And I thought, wow. That is really good because you're not going to find a more motivated group. I mean, anyone that has, has been able to take their team from somewhere in the world. Have you had, you had you know, people from Chad, people from all over the world, uh, were in Bali. It's like just that feat of being able to, to make that, that trip. You're talking with people who are doers and who are successful to some degree and they have to be some of the best, uh, students wanting to know more. So that's why I was interested more about, you know, the, the, and you were describing the, the types of, um, training that you were giving there because you were training, we, you weren't training the players. You were training more of the managers and the coaches. And, the, and we, we were doing both. We hope to do more of the, of the players in Romania. We were doing more of the managers and, you know, the adults. Um, but what we did, I'll give you an example of what we did. And we had, we had rooms filled 20, 30, you know, 40 people at a time in, in eight, nine, 10 different languages. Yes. And we had to figure out how to get them to communicate and how to work. So one of the things we did, and you saw our infographic, we did a little assessment like we do with kids. We said to them, we want you to make believe that you're a kid in a classroom. And we, we administered this little self-assessment and we decided, we, we were able to roughly define who's the person that does content creation, who's the entrepreneur, you know, who's the event type person. Um, and we categorized people and then we made them work in teams and they had to create their own club. They had to create a logo. They had to create, we even had them create chants <laughs> and they had to like stand up like cheerleaders and chants. And we had them do all the kinds of things so they can experience what we want them to bring back to their communities so they could actually see and say, Hey, not only is this good, I did it and I understood what that was like. And then. I'm going to go back to a different question, if I may. The U.S. is how do we deal with different cultures? We have a project we're doing right now with countries in the Middle East and the United States. We are, the kids are getting together. They do some things um, synchronously and asynchronously. And we have them, for example, build out what monument do you have that's meaningful to you and your community? What does your flag mean? What's a marketplace look like where you are versus where we are? And then we put them together on Zoom and we get kids, we, we have eight different countries we're working with and every month they get together on Zoom and they share their own cultural experience with the rest of the people on the Zoom call. Now granted, there are time issues and some of that, but you know, kids are great. They're resilient. They'll stay up till 12 o'clock at night or one o'clock and do some of this stuff. We just did a project a week ago, Saturday night with a hundred students in China with students around the United States and with people who are coaches from places like, you know, Shenandoah and Boise State and Harrisburg, you know, top esport programs to share information about 
you know, what's esports like in our school, our country versus yours? How do I go from China or Korea and maybe apply to your school and get to your school? All of those kind of things. So we were very much about how do you make this world really small? People are people. And if you break down all the political nonsense that exists and you allow them just to communicate as people from a human level, it's a different conversation. Yes. Yes. No, I just, I think it's really exciting what, what you're doing there and not. Uh, and also, from the feeling I'm getting from you, it's like in Romania, it's going to be a whole, it's going to be up another level sort of, of thing. One of the things I want to ask you about, do you do any kind of training to teach people how to get to Bali? Meaning that I, I've talked, to, we've talked to so many people as like, you know, they, they're, they're qualifying teams, but they don't always know how to raise funds to, to get there. Is there any kind of training out there for people to help them get to Bali? It's also an interesting question. You know, from uh, just a logistical financial issue, IESF is a great provider of support to help them. But what we do is when we put together our clubs, one of the requirements we have is one, they have to build a club charter. We give templates, but they have to modify it to work for them. They have to build a code of conduct. They have to build a business plan. And they have to build a development plan on how they're going to sustain themselves over the next three to five years. So as part of that, they're learning around, about capitalism. They're learning about democracy. They're learning about um, economics. And, you know, you'd be surprised, like I said, whether it's a bake sale, whether it's a lemonade stand, whether it's just going out and asking for funds or doing something unique and different. Kids are incredibly innovative. And we don't empower them enough to figure out how to do that. So we do it in that respect. We don't do it to say, we want you to get to this end game. We teach skills so that they can apply them to opportunities like that. No, the, 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 I think you're doing a really good, really good job there. And I'm sure you're going to be doing even more. Also, I wanted to talk about here uh, before we run out of time, uh, just about profit, nonprofits and foundations and philanthropy in general and their role in esports because you you you've described a very interesting journey of, of of figuring out how to make those those things match up so can you talk a little bit more about what you think uh nonprofits and foundations should be doing um in esports yes i am very fortunate that I was given the honor to run the philanthropy for Henry and Susan Samwelly at the Samwelly Foundation. Could you, could you, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Could you talk a little bit more about them and what they're doing? Yeah. Um, so Henry founded a company called Broadcom, uh, a multi-billion dollar dot com you know, company. And, you know, they joined the giving pledge. They've agreed to give away the majority of their wealth of their lifetime. Um, and they are innovators and entrepreneurs, and they allowed us to do the same. And, you know, not every philanthropist does that. You know, some people have a, a specific focus. Henry and Susan were different. They were very interested in how could we empower and develop kids and opportunities and communities. And, you know, it took a special breed for them to, you know, I mean, I, I came to them with an idea that was kind of cuckoo to many. Um, and even today, you know, it's a very staid, conservative world in many ways. Yes. You know, when I talk to even the education foundations and say, I've got a way of providing project-based, immersive, interest-based learning for kids that will change their trajectory in their life. Okay, cool. What is it? It's called gaming and esports. They look at you like you're nuts. And they think more of the old, oh, let's, you know, build an earthquake and watch it bubble up or let's do kind of traditional things. That's all what kids want today. You got to do something different. Granted, robotics is cool. You know, other things are cool. But, you know, a lot of those cost money and are expensive. So the people who come from the other side of town or live in a Title I environment don't have those resources. So you got to provide different ways of doing things. So it's still a, a it, it, it's a lift. It's hard. Um, many don't get it. I can remember because a lot of our work was um, running what we call the STEM learning ecosystems. We, in partnership with a number of entities, created these STEM ecosystems around the country, over 90 of them. And I remember, I think it was 2018, we hosted in Orange County 
probably 60, 70 cities around the country. Again, this is the progressiveness of the Samuelis. And we brought them to an esports arena in Santa Ana. And I would say 95% of them looked at me like I was nuts. And now, five years later, they can't believe what we're doing, that we have a curriculum, that we're reaching tens of thousands of people, that we're changing the way kids learn. Some people are getting it and get on the bandwagon to do it. And then there are some that say, you know what? I'm going to do the same old stuff. And there's an old saying, no, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same old thing, expecting different results. You know, people do what they do. Um, and there's someone who's going to replace me and our work and what we do. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're the flavor of the time right now. Esports is it. And hopefully it's got some longevity and impact. It's got great technology impact. People are seeing it. But, you know, in some year or some years, whatever it may be, something new is going to come around um, and, and take over and, and be a vehicle. People need to be open enough to look at those opportunities and be able to take risk. Um, Henry and Susan Samwelly were are willing to take risk. And I'm hoping, and I try to talk to others and say, look, you know, it, it, it's not a formula for success. It's just being open and putting yourself, as you said earlier, meet kids where they are, speak a language that makes sense to them and connect the concepts of enjoyment an opportunity, that immersive experiential activity to something where they can learn from and have fun with at the same time. And those are your formulas. Those are your ingredients for success. No, I think I'm, I, to, me, to me, it makes a lot of sense, but I, I also understand exactly what you're saying when, when it's a fairly conservative uh, world out there and the people making the decisions are not, necess- are, not, are not necessarily gamers. No. So it's like, so you can kind of understand it. Are there grants that are available for nonprofits for esports organizations that you're aware of? Um, you know, so it's one of the things that I really commend the State Department on. They've created an entire world around, for lack of a better term, esports diplomacy. And we're working in countries because of the State Department relationships. Um, not a lot, but enough to be able to seed fund activities and opportunities. Um, they're really progressive. Um, we're trying to get funding in other areas through other organizations. Um, philanthropy's tough. Um, it's hard. You've got to have the right conversation and have the right person, um, who can appreciate and understand. I think the entry points are about finding foundations and philanthropy and people who want to focus on social emotional learning, who want to focus on education, want to focus on workforce skill development and pathways. Uh, who want to focus on youth development. Those are the people that I find are most perceptive to the conversation. Because, you know, one of the things we did that no one else did was we had our work assessed by the University of California at Irvine. They did a four-year assessment. They got IRB approval for it, which in the education world is like the gold standard. Um, and they showed the value proposition, not of esports, but about our work about how you take curriculum and intentionally use it through esports to gain pathways of learning and opportunity. Um, when people see that, when educators see that, when parents see that, when parents see that there's a workforce opportunity there, that my kid can go ahead and I don't have to spend $400,000 to send them to a four-year institution. They can go around a career pathway. They can gain skills. They can do coding. They can get a certificate of coding through Google, Microsoft, whatever it may be. And they could be a developer and they could make six plus figures. You know, that data speaks for itself. And, and, and they can be doing something that they want to be doing. Right. I mean, it's, it's like, it's not like you're, you're all, you're forcing people into this, this category. Uh, one of the curriculum descriptions I saw was that in ninth grade, you, you talk esports. In 10th grade, you talk entrepreneurship. And in 11th grade, you talk about, um, marketing. And I was just like, that, that, that is just so smart. Hey, I, I really appreciate you taking a little bit of time here to talk about the NASIF, what you're doing there and what you're doing at the International Esports Federation. It really fits well with, with our audience when, when we're talking about training because it, 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 it there's, there's, there's worlds of opportunity. Esports can do more than just. Absolutely. absolutely. It, you know, in, in Tom, I, again, I just want to give them our website. Does it, we don't gain anything from it. Again, we don't sell that stuff. We don't have. DC venture capitalists, we got a report to, um, NASEF, NASEF.org. Look at it. You can join our program for free. Our competitions are for free. 
you can play with and meet with and talk with and learn with people all over the world and no cost. And granted, we have some things that are deeper dives around professional development we charge for, for those that want to get into it more deeply. But these are opportunities. Take advantage of those opportunities. Thanks to people like Henry Susan Samwelli that helped us build this. UCI, Orange County Department of Ed, our educators, um, they care. And, you know, that's something to take advantage of. Southern California leads the way again. Yeah, it did. <laughs> At least with us. <laughs> great, great. Well, again, uh, Gerald, thanks for showing up. This is the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives. And this season, we have two new two new uh, features. We have uh, worksheets for each episode, just like this one. We're going to have a worksheet that you can download from the website to continue the conversation uh, with with uh, on learning what it is that we've been talking about, maybe doing your own research out there. And secondly, we're going to be creating a, a Facebook group so you can take that learning. One of the things that we've learned, and Gerald probably knows this better than anyone, it's like the best teachers are other people that are doing the same thing that you're doing. So it's like, you don't want to listen to someone else telling you how it needs to be done, but you can learn from other people. And that's what we want to do with, with our Facebook group. So, so check out the links to that as well. Gerald, again, thanks for your time. Awesome time. Thank you. Gamers Change Lives podcast, play games, create jobs, change lives. See you next time. You've just heard the Gamers Change Lives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed, do so right now so that you can stay up to date with episodes as soon as they're uploaded and so you can hit the ground running on changing your esports adventure forever. You can also visit us at gamerschangelivespodcast.com. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks for listening.